truly at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 208 of Dogcast Radio, which you can find at dogcastradio.com. Coming up, we have a lovely, happy story of a dog who found the right human. I then met her um, and fell in love with her. I walked in and I just knew it was her. It was the one. And we have the Dogcast Radio News. But before all that, we hear from Kat Chrysostom, who has developed Benefab, which is a beneficial fabric which may be of help to your dog. But it was a very dramatic experience of her own which led her to the invention. Today I'm talking to Kat Chrysostom. Hi, Kat. Hi, Julie. Thank Hi. you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So, I mean, your story is amazing and you've been through so much and, and I can't wait to share this with people. But tell me, take me back to the beginning of sort of what, what happened to you, that the path that, that you were put on. And th- there was an awful incident with your horse, wasn't there? Take me back to that. Yes. Yeah, it has been quite a journey since that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this really, the story all started back in March of 2011. I was, uh, believe it or not, actually studying pre-med in school. Um, mm. Everything was going seemingly uh, perfectly and was looking at med schools and really had a heart for medicine. I had grown up in an animal-loving family, uh, full of medical professionals and was sort of predestined for that field, you could say. So I was studying in school, took a spring break opportunity, a vacation down to Florida, um, which is now where I reside and was riding a friend's horse back to the barn. Uh, We were walking up an embankment. It had been a beautiful ride. It was a beautiful day. Everything was going great. Um, We were walking up an embankment over a very large drop for drainage. It was about a 15-foot drop over a sort of makeshift kind of bridge, um, and the horse stumbled. And unlike most stumbles, he didn't catch himself, and we actually tumbled over the anchor rope um, that was on the side of the bridge, mm. and it resulted, um, we both tumbled, obviously, to 15 feet down, and it resulted in a triple fracture of my C2 vertebrae, wow. um, which, yes, which left me paralyzed, and um, I was told that the horse wouldn't live, and he fought for weeks and ended up losing his life, and really left me fighting for mine. Yeah. Wow. What? So, I mean, for most people, that's, and I guess for you, that, that is sort of an awful, awful traumatic experience and, and certainly life-changing. Mm, yes. Yeah, it absolutely changed my life forever. I mean, I, I can look back on it and say that was truly a split moment in time that changed my trajectory um, of life. And so it's it's really been... Um, it was obviously, it was a fight for survival at the beginning, and it was a tremendous fight to regain my mobility. Thank God I was blessed to, um, so it was a triple fracture in my C2, which is also known as a hangman's fracture. Mm. Um, the same fracture that Christopher Reeve had. Oh, wow. He started in Superman. Yes. Um, yeah, that left him wheelchair bound for the rest of his life. I had a lot of other injuries. I was on a ventilator and had something called pneumothorax. I couldn't, you know, breathe by myself. I mean, there was a lot of other injuries, but I was put into a halo traction device, um, mm. which I'm not sure if you know what that is. No, or, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, or the listeners. So it's actually, I mean, I kind of jokingly say it, it resembles a medieval torture device, um, <laughs> but it's a metal halo um, with a sheepskin-lined carbon fiber vest, and it has four rods, um, two in the front and two in the back, uh, that come up. They're metal rods, and each rod has a screw on the end, and it's basically screwed onto your skull. Um, has 32 pounds of pressure uh, total, eight pounds on each rod, and it holds your, your head off of your spine. So it gives wow. your uh, vertebrae the room to heal. Um, you know, if you will, it's kind of a cast for your neck. Mm. And I was put into that, uh, which is a very old school technique, but they opted to do that because they knew surgery would solidify paralysis. Um, and I was very blessed that my spinal cord wasn't severed. However, it was very bruised. So it was, it was this like, you know, is, is it going to heal? Is there going to be permanent damage? And there was just this huge question mark on my case. 
um, and it took me a solid 18 months to regain mobility. Um, wow. But I did. I regained full mobility, and it was a huge push and uh, a lot of, you know, tears, of course, and uh, a lot of motivation that took me to, to get to that point. Um, but yeah. what got me there was a holistic therapy. So, yeah, it's really an interesting journey. Wow. <laughs> I mean, looking back now <laughs> from where you are now, yes, you can say it's interesting. But I guess at the time, my goodness, that was so much uncertainty. And wh- where will you be in the future? That must mm. have been really, really terrifying. So, But tell me, um, how? Uh, tell me more detail. How did you do it then? Yeah, it, and it was terrifying. It was definitely it was fear of the unknown, you know, mm-hmm. it was like what, what is going to happen? And it was truly living, you know, a moment by moment sort of life. But I, so actually I, I was in the halo and I was on, um, like I said, I was on a ventilator. I was also on a morphine drip, um, for quite some time. So it wasn't an induced coma, but it was pretty much in and out of consciousness. It was, um, just, I, I was, the world was moving on and I yes. wasn't, you know, I yeah. was um, bedridden and immobile and my whole life had changed. And um, I said earlier, I was studying and I had lost my academic scholarship. Obviously, athletics was, I, I was also at school on an athletic scholarship of oh. riding horses in yeah. college. And, of course, I lost that. I was told I would never ride again and, oh. you know, perhaps never walk again. Mm-hmm. So, um, in I was in the halo for just over three months. When I was taken out of that, I was put into a hard neck collar and started transitioning off of some of the pain medications and off of the morphine drip. And that's really when my reality set in and I actually realized, like, wow, my life is completely different. You know, this is never going to be the same. Um, And that's really when my fight began. So I started exhausting everything um, that I was I was doing uh, a lot of forms of different physical therapy. I was, you know, pressing myself on a lot of different medications. I had a lot of nerve pains. And what I was realizing is that every medication I was taking was giving me a side effect that then we were treating with another. And mm-hmm. it was just this domino effect. Um, and so I, it, I one day I was basically pleading with my neurologist just saying, you know, look, I've exhausted all of these methods. Like nothing is working. I, you know, I, I had regained mobility in my left side, not my right. And I was just pleading with him and he, in a very offhand way, um, recommended red light therapy. Hmm. And I had never heard of that. And to be, yeah, to be totally honest, I mean, I was from a Western medical professional family. Like all, all these holistic things just to me sounded kind of hocus pocus. <laughs> but at that point, I was willing to try anything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, um, I ended out, I, I uh, actually looked into it. I Googled it. Um, I found there was a local office very nearby, um, to where I was staying that offered this therapy. And I went and sat in front of a red light solarium, also known as far infrared, um, light therapy. And for the first time since the day of my accident, I was able to fully uh, be mobile and walk out of there. Wow. That quickly. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible, and I just knew that I was on to something. Um, now, I lost mobility quite quite quickly after that, um, within about two to three hours. I was losing my mobility, so I dove into research and having, you know, been um, from that pre-med background and having sort of this inclination towards science, I, I understood it. I understood what the therapy was doing, and it was reducing inflammation in my spinal cord. Um and so I was able, you know, to, to move and that inflammation was coming back. So of course my next, my next, uh, purchase was a light of my own and I ended up using that light every day, twice a day for almost 18 months and completely, um, brought, you know, brought myself, uh, fully back and fully mobile and really don't have, um, very many lingering issues. I mean, I have pain and, um, you know, some like, alignment issues in my neck, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know, and some arthritis, but nothing, you know, nothing that I can't live with. <laughs> That's yes. for sure. Oh, yeah. gosh. So, 
I mean, when you when you think about the future that you could have been facing, that that is amazing, isn't it? Really? Yes, it is terrifying. Wow. It, yeah. is, it is really terrifying. Yeah. 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 And, wow. you know, of course, now, like, we can talk about it, you know, in a matter of five minutes. And it's like, oh, yeah, it was quite <laughs> a journey. But, um, you know, I ended up, I, I recently published a book. And I, you know, it, it, it was so much, um, you know, and of course, like, I like, I would love to say like, oh yeah, I just kept pushing forward and, you know, I gained my mobility back, but it was so much more than that. You know, I mean, it was, it was really terrifying and, Mm. um, the fear certainly some days were horrible and some days were a little brighter, but I mean, Mm. the fear was just all consuming. Um, Yes. Yeah. And and, yeah, it was a very hard fight, but yeah, uh, that that holistic therapy really gave me uh, not only my mobility back, but really gave me my life back yes. and gave me hope, you know, for the future. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and two things spring to mind. It's one thing if someone says to you, right, if you work hard for 18 months, you will be mm-hmm. where you need to be. But you don't know that at the time. So you're working, you don't know the time scale, you know, and that's one of the frightening things. Yeah. And then, I mean, the, the other thing is, in in that situation, it's easy to feel sort of at the whim of the the fates that you're not in control. So for you to find something that makes you at least feel in control and did actually give you control back, and you you could um, you know own your own health and your fight back to health, I think that helps as well. So that's I mean, well done. That's that really is amazing. But then you having fought your own fight, then how did you come to the point of thinking, well, you know, now I'm in a much better place. I can help animals. How did that come about? Well, I have, um, I've always been a huge animal lover. And I grew up on a farm with about every animal that you could imagine. <laughs> and it wasn't a working farm. So mm. probably against my father's wishes, we took everything home. Sheep, goats, <laughs> you know, dogs, cats, everything. So I've always been a huge animal lover. And when I had the accident, you know, I was told I would never ride again. I, yeah. I had been riding horses my whole life. Um, I actually lost my dog in the accident, which was horribly traumatic. Oh, but yeah. he, yeah, he was a very big, powerful Weimaraner. And I, there was no way that I could have taken care of him and nobody could step up and take care of him. And that was all, I mean, I was really quite um, out of it, you know, during that time when all of that was happening. So when I came to and understood what had happened, like it was, you know, my scholarships were gone, my my dog was gone, just my whole life had changed. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted to find some way to stay connected to animals. And, you know, in a very odd, um, you know, I don't really talk about this often, but mm-hmm. in a very odd way, I was sort of fearful of people when Mm -hmm. I had my accident and coming back I felt like I think I was I think I was just so emotional and so sensitive about the whole thing that it was like for people to ask me questions or even the thought of being around people or somebody bumping into me like I was just so sensitive and so afraid Mm -hmm. Um, and so I really connected with animals on a deeper level than I ever had before. And so I wanted to find a way that I could, I felt like this therapy could could be used for animals and for people and more people should have known about it. And so I really dove into research and I actually found, uh, believe it or not, a group of engineers in Taiwan that were perfecting a fabric that they claimed were doing the same thing as this red light therapy that I was using so successfully. And quite candidly, when I read it, I just thought, how in the world could that happen? Like, how could a fabric do that? (laughs) Um, And so I reached out to them. I ended up actually going to Taiwan. And on that trip, I, I of course, couldn't pack my light. Um, It was too big to fit my suitcase. And I was quite concerned about that. So when I got there, I had them cut a very large piece of, of the fabric that they had uh, been working on, and I slept on top of it the entire time I was in Taiwan and didn't need my light. So mm. I knew it worked, like I was a personal walking test. Yes. <laughs> um, 
and was involved in the finalization process of the fabric. It was a really neat experience. And I, my, the first thing that I wanted to do, um, was to create one, uh, scarf for myself, for my neck, <laughs> kind of selfishly, but that was my very first product. And the second thing was to create products for horses initially. And, um, now of course we've gone into the dog market, but it's just been, you know, animals can't talk to us mm-hmm. and they can't tell us the pain that they're experiencing. But we can see, you know, if they're limping or they whine or they're afraid of being pet or, you know, we can see them trying to communicate with us. And it's been, it's been amazing what the products have been able to do uh, for, for animals. Yes, incredible. So, so tell me some of the conditions that dogs may be suffering from that, that Benefab can help with. So our, you know, to really boil it down, very simply put, our customer promise um, with all of the products is increased mobility and less pain and three weeks guaranteed. Wow. So, yeah, they are proven to increase blood circulation and reduce inflammation. Um, So they, I mean, it's really just a number of different things. If we have a lot of performance animals, including performance dogs that use the products for you know, warm-up time and then obviously recovering just from a regular workout like an athlete would. Um, But we also have a lot of uh, aging companion animals that suffer from arthritis or any sort of circulatory disorders, neuropathy, um, autoimmune things, you know, any, any, really anything that is inhibiting pain and creating a lack of mobility, uh, the products can help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how, how do they have to use them, Kat? So the, that's the beautiful thing about the product is, and that and that's what my main thing was, is like how it was really hard for me at first to wrap my head around the fabric working um, with no plugs or electricity. And the beautiful part about them is that the way that the product works is actually from your own body heat. That's the conductor of the fabric. So as long as it is touching you um, or the animal, it's working. So it's you really can put it on, and and that's the that's another wonderful thing is you can put it on, you know, for 30 minutes at a time. That's the minimum um, amount of time that we recommend to start seeing benefits. But from anywhere from 30 minutes to 12 hours, it's kind of like you know what suits. What suits your dog? What suits um, your schedule as the dog owner? And you can kind of go from there and, and customize a regimen. Wow. Do you know, I wish I'd known about this before because I'm just thinking about um, Buddy, my, my Labrador. He had he had some arthritis, but he also had a degenerative spine condition. And this would have been, it sounds, sounds like it would have been perfect for him. I, I come across things that I think, I wish I'd known this. I'm, I, I like learning. I, you know, I love learning about new things. Um, but sometimes you do think, oh, I wish I'd learned about this before. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we... Um I wish you would have known about it before, yes. too. But, yeah, we have a lot of um, dogs with any, like, a degenerative um, bone, you know, disease or yeah. any sort of um, vertebral issues, um, whether that's compressed vertebrae or a degenerative sort of condition. Um, but there's a lot of different, you know, a lot of different things that dogs suffer from. And a lot of times, you know, the vet bills, and we work with a lot of veterinarians um, nationwide. We actually have, um, in the U.S., we have, we're the first wearable wellness company to have peer-reviewed published studies. So we have university trials. We really dig deep into the science behind it. Um, but what I find is a lot of the veterinarians will tell me, okay, you know, uh, someone will come in with a herding dog or, you know, a dog that's in, in a severe amount of pain and they want to do everything they can for that dog, but perhaps x-rays don't show it, but they can't afford an MRI or they yes. can't, you know, they can't afford something else. And so this is a great product at that point. It's like, okay, well, let's at least treat the pain and the mobility issues and then, you know, go back to the drawing board. So it kind of gives you some time and just that external relief um, that I feel like a, do- a lot of dog owners that can, can really benefit, especially when it's your best friend. You know, yes. they're, they're our companions, so we want to take the best care of them. Yeah, 
Yeah. And again, you know, I've, I've mentioned before about that feeling of when you feel out of control, that you, you're not in control of your own health. But again, when you can't give your dog the help that they clearly need, again, to, ha- to be able to say, well, I can give you some comfort from, you know, the pain and, and, and help you and, and get rid of some of the inflammation. That's incredibly empowering for an owner, isn't it? Or, or a guardian of a dog, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening that will sort of um, be very interested. And, and as you say, the other thing, if, if your dog is in full health, but is is very active or is you compete with your dog, again, to be able to give them that comfort and help them keep at peak in peak condition is, is great as well, isn't it? Yes, yeah, exactly. It can certainly help, you know, also reducing risk of injury, um, mm-hmm. you know, for warm-up time, because when you're increasing circulation, you're suppling muscles, you're helping oxygen flow to the deep tissue level. So as far as, you know, if you do fly ball or dock diving, we have a lot of disc dogs that use the products. That kind of strenuous activity, we're actually working with some canine units also for the working dogs with the police forces. When you have that kind of strenuous activity, you're, they are really using, I mean, it's just like any athlete. They're stretching their muscles and, you know, using them and they get sore just like we do if we go to the gym. Um, which yes. I don't go to the gym. I really don't <laughs> like the gym. But, Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> but I can relate to it. That's why I don't like it. I hate that sore feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that that they can help, help with that. Um, and they can certainly help. So pre and post, you know, exercise. So it's something, and I think it's, you know, because our animals can't communicate with us, um, the first thing is they don't lie. You know, yes. you know that when it's, when it's making them better, you can visibly see it. And the second thing is they can't tell us if, if they're in pain. So we have to really watch them carefully and, you know, assume um, what they're showing us is correct. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I mean, this is, this is, I'm, I'm so interested in this and, and, um, and, and I know some, some people with conditions. I'm thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be great news for them as well. Um, yeah. we've got a lot to, to sort of fit into our time today. I'm aware of that. And one of the things I'd like to address with you is the, the, the three myths of holistic healing for pets. Can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do a lot of public speaking <laughs> and I have found, um, and, and many times I speak at conferences, whether it's canine or equine related, and then to, you know, some, some crowds for themselves too. But one thing that I, three negatives that I always hear about holistic healing at the beginning of, of, um, the conference or, you know, people who didn't attend will say, you know, and they're all negative, either it's hocus pocus, it's mm-hmm. not proven, um, and it doesn't work. Like those are just three common myths. And the, the thing about holistic healing is, um, and, and like I said, going back, like I grew up in Western with Western medicine. Um, that's all I knew. My uncle was a pharmacist. My father was an oral surgeon. Um, we had more just medical professionals and um, MDs in the uh, immediate family. And so that's what I knew. You know, we if you had a symptom, you just treated it with a uh, pill or, you know, some sort of uh, sedative, whatever it was. And if that created a side effect, well, you treated that too. And it, you know, comes on to this domino effect. And I think the, the really important thing to realize about holistic medicine and Eastern medicine is that Western, there's a great time and place for that. It treats symptoms. Eastern medicine treats the cause. So if we're not looking to treat the cause, we can't treat the entire the entire picture by just treating the symptoms because then we're, we're constantly chasing something. So some of those, you know, common myths about holistic healing are, for one, they, they are caused because a lot of companies come out and they, they don't have science behind the product. They say mm-hmm. this is all natural and it works. Um, so the first thing is, you know, do your research just because it's natural or holistic doesn't mean that it doesn't work. Um, you know, there's a lot of science that we have behind the products. They are proven. So that's that's the one thing I, I really tell people to focus on. And also, 
you know, there are wonderful herbs and you can treat so much through nutri- nutrition and diet. Um, and it's, that's going back, you know, years and years, hundreds of years ago, um, that, you know, people didn't have what we have today. Um, and arguably a lot of people were healthier. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, so we have to, I think we have to look at, um, just because it's holistic doesn't mean it's not proven. You know, do your research, find what's proven. Um, but many times if you can find the correct holistic aid, then you will treat the cause. So you'll have, you'll, you'll just inevitably stop chasing the symptoms and you'll actually get control of, of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, it's about sort of finding what works for you. So be open-minded and, and, you know, don't be anybody's fool. As you say, do the research, look at the science, but be open-minded and and see what works for you, for your dog, for your horse. You know, try it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and look for other people's um, you know, verified testimonial. Look at what other people have used it for. And every, every animal and every person is, is different. They're going to respond differently. Um, you know, so yeah, exactly. It's doing your research and being open-minded and, and buying from companies that do guarantee, you know, their products. Um, you know, what I feel like there are so many you know, companies out there, especially today, that are small businesses, they're kind of flooding the marketplace and they make a lot of promises. But when you really start digging, you realize, okay, well, there's really no guarantee to those promises, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. It's just all about research. And I, I love that you said that because it's so much about being open-minded. Yeah. Yeah. See, well, I, we have this discussion at home, you see, because I, I, my Mr. Dogcast is, is very scientific and sort of, um, he would be one of those people saying, oh, holistic and, and not necessarily and, you know, poo pooing. And, but so it's, it's lovely to hear that from you as well, that to say, no, there is science behind this. So, yeah. you know, check it out, actually. So that, that's great. He's, he's very into the science. So, and that's, that's good. I can, uh, <laughs> I can tell him about this one and say, nope, nope, yes, there you is can science. relay the message. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So tell me about the, the partnership you've got uh, with the ASPCA. Yeah. So we partnered with the ASPCA last year, um, at the beginning of last year. I felt like, there was such an opportunity to give back. And especially when it comes to um, animals that are in pain uh, and rescues, like a lot of rescues, you know, we all know they come in with baggage. Mm-hmm. None of them are, you know, from a loving home, been loved all their life and turned into the shelter. It just doesn't work like that. Um, and so many of them have, you know, sadly been either beaten or, um, you know, have been run over or whatever it is, they, a lot of the animals are suffering. And I felt like not only could our products work, but also a portion of our proceeds go to help, to help the rescues and the animals. And so we partnered with the ASPCA, um, we're business ambassadors, um, of the ASPCA. And we also do work with a lot of local humane, uh, shelters and we, you know, work on a case-by-case basis with them. So the ASPCA is sort of the, you know, the um, overriding uh, organization, but we also do a lot on the local local levels as well. So it's it's nice to, it's the beautiful thing when you can see the products giving back, but also, you know, treating um when when those animals go into their new home, they are able to the product's able to go with them and continue helping them. Yeah, it's been a really fun thing to see. Oh, lovely! Do you know I'm hearing about more more businesses doing this about sort of making it you know profit, making a living, but putting something back and helping animals, people, whoever needs that help. And I think this is the future of business, and this is what we need to look at as as consumers, isn't it? That we need to choose to to give our money to businesses that are trying to make the world a better place, not just trying to make as much money as they can. And that's definitely the way forward. Yes, absolutely. Yep. I think it's becoming more and more evident, especially now, you know, we, we are in an opportunity to give back and our world needs us. It needs businesses to do that. And so, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really fun. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, I'm sure people are going to be intrigued with your story and want to find out more. So tell me about the book you've written. So I wrote the book. Um, it's called Broken to Branded. And I initially set out, um, I've always thought that writing was very therapeutic for me. Um, writing, I said writing like not riding horses. I actually <laughs> do ride now. Um, believe it or not, I am back in the saddle. Mm. Um I have a lovely horse that I trust and, you know, we just, um, pleasure ride, but I mean, writing, um, pen to paper, um, yes. <laughs> has always been very therapeutic for me. And during my recovery, it was really, um, I mentioned earlier, like I was very guarded with people. And so it was really a way that I could still communicate and get my feelings out and, you know, I, I had no intentions of writing a book. I would just write and whatever I was feeling and, you know, on those days. And so as I became emotionally healed and physically healed, I started to speak. And a lot of people would say, you know, I want to know everything. Like, do you have a book? And so I pulled out all those papers <laughs> and started looking through it and uh, ended out composing a book. Um called Broken to Branded. It it touches a lot on the entrepreneurial journey um, itself. And so, but really the subtitle kind of says it all. It's Broken to Branded, Surpass Your Fears, Find Your Purpose, and Take Control. And that's really what it helps people do. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Lovely. I mean, it's been so fascinating talking to you. Um, Where can people find out more about you online? What's the best um, link to give them? Yes, um, it's benefabproducts.com, and that's benefab like beneficial fabrics. So B-E-N-E-F-A-B products.com. And the book is available there as well as on Amazon, um, so they can also find it at amazon.com. Smashing, smashing. Is there anything that we haven't had time to talk about that you'd like to say? I don't think so. This has been This has been fantastic, and I so appreciate you having me on. I feel like... You know, any of these things, you could go on for days and days, but I think we've kind of touched on all of it, and I'm sure that some of the listeners might have some questions, but they can reach us through the website and and certainly reach directly out to me as well. What an amazing story of Kat's triumph over incredible misfortune, and then turning what she'd learned into something that can help others. We have the link Kat mentioned on the Dogcast Radio site. And if you find Benefab helps your dog, do get in touch and tell us about it. It's no coincidence that man's best friend cannot talk. Unknown author. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Now it's time for the Dogcast Radio News. Guard dogs can be a very efficient deterrent to ne'er-do-wells who intend to trespass on your property, but it's worth remembering that dogs are only human. Hang on a minute. Dogs are human? Okay, canine then. Yes, which is better than human. Much better. This story concerns a massive hound cross called Brickleberry in Canada who has apparently been tolerating a bear coming into his garden to eat trash in return for the bear bringing him deer bones. Apparently, this is the third time the bear has bribed his way into the garden in this way, and Brickleberry's owner, Jesse Jordan, is complaining online that each time he has to clean up the mess the bear makes. His Twitter posts have caused quite a stir. So we wondered what reaction you have to this story. Is it just a bit of fun? Is it a very clever bear or maybe a clever dog? Are the two animals cooperating or maybe the dog is being lulled into a false sense of security and actually in danger from the bear? While Kyle Rorig and his dog, Shiba Inu Katana, were hiking along the Appalachian Trail in the eastern United States, glaucoma struck Katana, causing her to lose vision in her left eye. They went home for Katana to have surgery, returning to their hike when she had recovered. But when Katana lost the sight of her right eye as well, leaving her completely blind, Kyle's confident trail buddy was gone. Being blind dented Katana's confidence to the point where she was incredibly nervous even moving around the house. Carl took a calculated risk and took his dog to the Florida Trail. The trek involved alligators, snakes, busy highways and disappearing paths, all major hazards for any dog, but particularly dangerous to a dog that can't see. But the gamble paid off, and gradually Katana started to get her confidence back. 
hiking 200 miles of the trail herself, with Kyle carrying her the rest of the way. Having coped with the trail, Katana finds life at home a doddle, and definitely has her zest for life back. And from a dog who can't see to dogs who lead people who are sight impaired, guide dogs have to be relaxed about encountering anything their working life might require. So recently, 70 guide dogs in training in California, USA, boarded an Alaska Airways plane to Hawaii. However, the plane did not leave the runway, and after 20 minutes on the plane, during which time most of the dogs simply lay down and fell asleep, everyone disembarked. It was all part of a training exercise to familiarise the dogs with everything plane travel entails. An important aspect of travel is finding out where the conveniences are. Où sont les toilettes? Exactly. So the young dogs headed out to the patch of artificial grass which serves as a canine ladies and gents bathroom. They had all gained valuable exposure to the sights and sounds and smells of a busy airport and still had bags of energy and enthusiasm to head home and carry on with their training. In the UK, lungworm is becoming an increasing threat to dogs. Wales in particular is plagued with the potentially fatal dog disease. Lungworm is a parasite for which dogs and foxes are the primary host, but it can also infect slugs, snails and even frogs. The signs of lungworm can be difficult to spot. Indeed, dogs can be asymptomatic for a while and if an infected dog is left untreated, it will excrete lungworm larvae for years, contributing to the spread of the disease. Lungworm can kill dogs, but it is completely preventable. Your vet can supply effective preventative medication which needs to be administered on a monthly basis. Vets are also advising owners not to leave dog toys in the garden overnight, as this can increase the risk of infection. And, which should go without saying, always scoop the poop. Talking of poop scooping, Dublin City Council in Ireland is delighted to reveal that it has only issued four fines to dog owners for not picking up after their dogs in the last year. It sounds fantastic, but in reality, some of the lack of fines is due to the problematic nature of enforcing them. For example, if someone is observed not clearing up after the dog, they may claim it's not their dog. Or, those who make a complaint may refuse to act as a witness if the case goes to court. The council is attacking the problem in different ways, even hiring a talking lamppost to issue verbal warnings to dog owners that they should pick up the poo. Humour is also employed with signs erected advising, want to start yoga? Start by bending over and picking up your dog poo, known as the downward dog position, then put it in the bin. Knoxville, Tennessee now, for a roller coaster thriller of a story. It starts with two-year-old Aurora Bentley playing happily in her yard. Ah, oh, lovely. I know, but then disaster strikes when a stray dog breaks into the yard and heads straight for Aurora. No, I want Aurora to stay safe and happy. Cool name, by the way. It is, isn't it? Enter the hero of our story in the form of black and white mixed breed Oreo, who immediately goes to stand beside Aurora, defending her from the other dog. Yay, the day is saved! Well, not for Oreo, because the stray dog now attacks him. Oh no! Yes, Oreo sustained cuts and bruises and was rushed to an animal hospital for treatment. He was basically okay, so there's a happy ending. No, because Oreo was also a stray dog, albeit one who liked and stood up for Aurora. My nerves won't take much more of this. Well, relax, because Aurora's family were so grateful to Oreo for defending their little girl that they decided... To adopt him! Yay! We end the Dogcast Radio News on a high. See you next time! No one can fully understand the meaning of love unless he's owned a dog. Gene Hill I'm sent a lot of stories and press releases about dogs, and they vary, but it's the happy ones I enjoy sharing most. To me, having a dog is all about love. You love the dog, the dog loves you, I am H.O., and you both make each other's lives better. So the stories I enjoy most are, I guess, good love stories. And when I read this one, which was sent to me by the Mayhew, I knew I wanted to talk to the person involved and tell you about her story. Dushanka Singh is the fundraising officer at the Mayhew, and when she met a dog called Jada, who was brought into the rescue centre. Well, do you know what? I think I'll let her tell the story. Jada was found by a member of the public. She was hiding in a bush, and she was very skinny. She'd 
recently had puppies, so she was still lactating, um, covered in cuts and bloody wounds and lots of scars across her body, um, really badly infected ears and um, mucky eyes as well. But thankfully, they brought her into Mayhew um, and she wasn't microchipped, so we weren't able to uh, reunite her with her owner. Um, she spent seven days at Mayhew and then we, um, we actually didn't start the adoption process um, straight away because she was so underweight and so needy and um, I, I guess quite nervous as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we gave her a bit of time uh, to settle in. But yeah, and then after, once she was you know, getting a bit better after she'd you know she'd stopped lactating um I then met her (laughs) um and fell in love with her (laughs) and I was actually I was actually having a meeting um with someone who wanted to support Mayhew and they were actually late and so I said to one of the kennel staff uh do you think I could just see a dog while I wait (laughs) um and he he was like oh this is um, Pebbles was her name at the time um this is Pebbles come and say hi and I walked in and I just knew it was her. It was Aww. the one. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Isn't it funny how with some dogs, just like with some people, you just click and that's it and you know. Definitely, definitely. Mm. And, you know, working at Mayhew, I've, I've seen a lot of dogs um, in my time. And there have been a few that I've been interested in. But after meeting them, I've realised they're not the perfect match for me. You know, they need some a, a different type of home, different, you know, different owner um so when I met her um she was nothing like what I was looking for mm-hmm. either I like big staffy crosses <laughs> um she's a very tiny staffy cross mm. um and I wanted an older dog as well but just after meeting her and looking into those eyes that was that was it for me yeah oh so so tell me what was the process then because it wasn't you know I'm imagining you work at the Mayhew so you can just say I'm just going to pop this this dog in my handbag and take her home tonight not that she's that small but you know what I mean so tell me the process then well I had I had to do exactly what you know adopters uh do Mm. um so I had to um do the whole interview process um, with uh, our adoption officer. Um, I also had a dog at the time um, who sadly since passed. So my dog had to, my dog Kelsey had to meet uh, Jada to see if they got along because if they didn't get along, that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, it was quite a stressful time because I really loved, I fell in love with Jada and I'd spent a lot of time with her, like on my lunch breaks and things like that. Mm. But if my dog didn't get on with her, that was going to be the end of it because my dog always, you know, was the priority ultimately. And thankfully, uh, after the adoption interview, uh, both dogs met and, you know, they got on they got on fine. Um, my dog, like, she, she's not overly obsessed with other dogs. She mm. just kind of, like, says, oh, there's a dog, and, uh, which, is, which was great. Um, mm. And Jada listened to, you know, all Kelsey's cues, and they got along well. Um, they even, on their first uh, meeting, um, exchanged a few kisses and had a bit of a cuddle. And, yeah, so it was really good. Um, and then... Yeah, I had to pay the adoption fee and then um, I'd fostered in the past so I didn't have the home visit um, to be done because that had already been done. Mm. And then a week later I took her home. Oh, lovely, lovely. And that must have been so happy, obviously, for you. Tell me about Jada's reaction to that. Oh, she she was really nervous and she was really skittish. Um, you know, I'd been spending a lot of time with her so that she really could, like, trust me. Mm. Um, and... I brought her, when I brought her home, she just followed me the whole, you know, the whole time. She just wouldn't settle. She was, I think she was very much, you know, checking out her surroundings. Mm. Um, But she also looked to Kelsey quite a lot. And she, you know, she saw that Kelsey just sat on the sofa Mm. and was happy to do nothing. And she very quickly learned that, hey, you don't need to follow her around. You you will get food. You will get this and you will get that. You just sit and do do not much and <laughs> it, all, it all gets given to you on, um, on a plate. So, um, yeah, I think she was very helpful to have um, Kelsey to, to help Jada, you know, see that everything was fine and there's nothing, there was nothing for Jada to be scared of because, you know, looking at Kelsey's body language, she was, you know, asleep most of the time, really. Yes. <laughs> it does help, doesn't it, to have a, an older dog or an established dog that sort of sets the, the tone like that? 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even in terms of going out into the garden and things like that, um, Jada didn't really want to go outside very much. Mm. And um, she still doesn't really like to be outside on her own. She's getting better. But, you know, when Kelsey would go out, she'd follow Kelsey and then get used to being, you know, in, in, in the outside world. And mm. also on walks, having Kelsey there just really gave her a lot more confidence. Um, so it was, yeah, it worked out really well. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it would have been a, a lot more difficult for me to show Jada everything was okay. Um, but looking at another dog, I think she picked up on that, you know, much quicker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and now she's been with you a while. Is she sort of yeah. relaxing a bit and finding life a bit happier? Oh, yeah, she's loving life. Um, she comes to work with me uh, a few days a week and then goes to daycare on the other days. And we go on lots of adventures together. Um, she loves going to the park and loves playing with other dogs. Um, and, you know, even in, in the house, she's now starting to go into different rooms without me. Um, so, like, she'll, she's recently started sleeping in the lounge room rather than in my bedroom, mm. um, which I'm a bit sad about, but also really <laughs> pleased that, you know, yeah. she now feels so comfortable that she can be, she doesn't have to be right by my side. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she's, she's, she gets better with each day um, and more confident. And, um, yeah, she's, she's a real energetic and fun-loving dog. Um, she just loves, she really enjoys when people laugh at her. And um, so I think she likes to, you know, just having people look at her and, you know, give her that positive um, kind of feeling. She just, yeah. yeah, she really enjoys it. She thrives yeah. on it. Oh, Do you, isn't that funny? That's just woken a memory in my mind because my Labrador, he, he understood, obviously he didn't internalize that laughter means humans are in a good mood and if you laughed yeah. and it could be something he did something somebody said something on the television and he'd just rush up to you like oh can i join in can i get some of yeah, this yeah what happened yeah yes. yeah so yeah, yeah no she definitely so well. she definitely picks up on that especially yeah. in the office when she does something silly you know yeah. and everyone's laughing at her and then you know the little clown inside comes out and she's like <laughs> well what else can i do to get this reaction <laughs> oh bless her. yeah yeah so i mean to anyone that's, um, you know, thinking of adopting or perhaps in the early stages of adopting a dog, um, would you say sort of be patient and, you know, yeah, the good that, stuff will come be, kind of thing? Definitely. I, I was looking for a dog for over a year and, you know, everyone would say to me, well, you work at a rescue centre. And I would always say, yeah, but it's not that easy. Kelsey is my priority and I need to make sure the dog I do find is right for Kelsey because uh, any dog would have been fine for me. Yeah. Um, but it was more about, you know, so I, I, I saw lots of dogs. Um, I, I went to meet, I, you know, I would say I fostered. Um, I went to meet dogs as well and they just weren't the right one. And I think it's just about like being honest about what you really want mm -hmm. and, you know, knowing that, you, you will find the right dog. You've just got to be a bit more patient, especially when you're at a rescue center, you know. Um, we never know, you know, which dogs are going to be, you know, coming through our doors at any time. Um, and, yeah, it's just about patience. And, you know, Mayhew has a great um, website alert where you can put your email address in and we send you an email each time a new dog's available for adoption. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that's one way to keep an eye on the dogs coming through. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's great. And, and that's another great point. You know, when we are dreadful as humans for going, this is what I want. And, I, you know, yeah. it's like we're going shopping, <laughs> for, for, you know, and it's not like that when you get yeah. a dog. And I think, you know, take, if you're looking for, for a rescue dog, take the help of the, of the shelter, of the charity, or whatever it is that you're dealing with, the organisation. Take their help. They exactly. know that dog. Listen to what yeah. they're saying. Yeah, definitely. And I think you're, you're very right. Like, I know I had a picture in my head of, I've always had big staffy crosses, you know, over 30 kilos. So that's what I was expecting mm. um, to have again. Um, and then I met this 10 kilo staffy, uh, or she was about like eight and a half kilos oh. at the time or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she was, she didn't, she didn't meet the criteria on my list, <laughs> but, you know, just when, I, when we met, I knew that she was the right one. And um, she, she was also very affectionate towards me as well. So I, I feel like she knew I was the one 
for her as well. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And it's smashing that, you know, that she get, gets to go back to, to the Mayhew with you and that the staff who helped her through those early days get to see her. Oh, my, she loves going back to Mayhew. <laughs> and, you know, we, I, I take, when I've got meetings and things like that, I take her over and everyone wants to see her mm. all the time. Everyone wants to give her cuddles. Um, and she, she, when she knows we're going there she drags me and I've got to like come on no pulling on the lead um and but she just loves going back she loves seeing everyone everyone loves seeing her um and we you know we everyone wants to know like about her, her training so every time we go we show them the new trick that we've been learning and um so yeah it's great um and you know these she she actually touched quite a lot of people's um hearts when mm-hmm. she was there because of the, the state she was in um and in fact, a couple of other people also wanted to adopt her. Mm. Um, thankfully, I got there first. <laughs> <laughs> well um, done, but you. Yeah, so she, yeah, she did. She touched quite a lot of people. You know, she had these big eyes that just looked at you with like just wanting. All she wanted was love, and um, yeah. So it's nice for people to see her, um, especially like the vet team and um, the kennel staff and the animal welfare officers. It's great, yeah. and she loves going back. She knows that you know that's. That's, that she's got such positive experiences from yes. that place mm. um, and um, loves going back. Yeah, yeah. What a great testament to the care that the Mayhew take of animals, that she likes going back there. It's, you know, it's positive. It, it's a, a happy experience for her. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the kennels, uh, the kennel staff walk the dogs through a certain gate and she often tries to push me through that gate. I'm like, no, darling, we go to the main door now. <laughs> um, but, you know... She just, she loves, she loved being there and um, she was so happy and she got, she got so much love and attention and, mm. you know, I wonder, you know, it's hard to know what she'd had before coming to Mayhew, so. Yeah. yeah. But she's certainly getting lots of it now. Yes. Well, it, it's lovely and it's so, so nice to be able to share a positive, happy story. So thank you very much. Where can people find out more about Mayhew? Our website is probably the the best mm-hmm. place to start. Uh, it's www.themayhew.org. Um, or on our Facebook, we're always talking about the dogs up uh, and cats. Don't forget the cats. Mm-hmm. Um, the cats and dogs up for adoption on our social media as well. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Oh, isn't that lovely for both Dushanka and Jada? We have photos of Jada on the Dogcast Radio site, dogcastradio.com, and a link to the Mayhew website too. If you and your dog have a great love story, get in touch. I'd love to share it with everyone. And that's it for now. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcastradio. That's all one word, dogcastradio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Why did the dog jump off the boat? Because he saw a catfish. <laughs>